0: Everybody. Welcome to Or Else, a podcast where we interview current Or Fellows, alumni, and other business leaders and entrepreneurs in the Indianapolis area. Today, I will be interviewing Josh Owens, who is the CEO of SupplyKick. SupplyKick is, and I quote, a leading integrated marketplace retailer located in downtown Indianapolis. That little bit was taken from their official website, SupplyKick.com. Before we get started, I want to tell you a little story. It's something exciting, so don't get your hopes up, but still keep listening. I interviewed Josh on a Tuesday. Woke up that morning with plenty of time to get ready, except I still found myself rushing out the door because I couldn't decide on one simple thing. Do I dress business casual or go super casual casual? I probably stood in my closet for 15 minutes hemming and hawing until I finally decided on a nice pair of jeans and a three-quarter length light blue sweater. In my mind, I had struck the happy medium. Now flash forward to interview time, with me pacing back and forth in the lobby and then me opening the door to let Josh Owens in the building. He wore joggers, a white t-shirt, a puffy coat, and a Patagonia cap. When I saw this, I laughed at myself for being so stressed. I know it's silly, but because he was so casual, I was able to relax and get over my nerves. I start with this small story only to give you an image of how relaxed and welcoming Josh is. I think that, and the image of us sipping on LaCroix while we chat, helps paint the relaxing scene. Before we got into any of my questions, I found us talking about life in Washington, D.C. and Indianapolis and how they compared or didn't compare, since I had just mentioned that I had been to D.C. to visit my best friend from college. Anyways, enough from me. I'll let you have a listen. So I visited her and she's in like a really awesome area and I find that D.C. is one of like the coolest.
1: D.C. is fantastic. It's one of the
0: coolest cities.
1: It gets tiring. Uh, Yeah. If you live there, it, well, I shouldn't say that, but it's a very transient city. And so there's a lot of people, everyone's kind of one foot in, one foot out. Right. Um, mostly because politics is just so outsized there. So um, I felt like even the people who were staying around, they were always like, maybe, you know, we'll see. Right. So I felt like it was, um, it was a, it was an easy place to like meet friends. It was a difficult place to like keep or like make really good friends i think like it, it was a really interesting experience um dc was a very um i call it an and city it was like great i'm going to get dinner with these friends and someone asked oh if we'd go do that and so it's just and we'll do both of those like we're gonna mm-hmm. get everyone together even if you didn't so i felt like there was a lot of dinners with like people that you only knew two people at the table of 12. right but like that's a really fun you like learn a lot of really cool experiences from that
0: Our conversation here at the beginning goes on for a while, but I want to pick out a couple important observations Josh makes about D.C. He says he loves it, would move back for the right reasons with family if given the opportunity, so I don't want you to take his next words as bashing the city or anything. At one point, Josh calls D.C. a transient, youthful city, meaning that people are constantly moving in and out, most of them young, which can be super exciting. But because of the seemingly high turnover, for lack of a better term, it's easy to feel disconnected what's one thing that you think Indy has that DC doesn't that you love?
1: It's got a better sense of community for sure. Yeah. Which is positive. I mean, it's, um, same benefits of the or fellowship, you know, all those type of things, but DC, um, I think, again, kind of because it's very transient. There's people in and out all the time. That's exciting, but it's very difficult to, like, feel connected to the community. I never felt, like, connected to to D.C. And, like, here, I've always... I've never not been connected, you know, in some meaningful way. Um, whether that's through community organizations I was part of or, or fellowship or different companies or the Butler community or the Wabash community. It's just, like, you know... So some of that's kind of being from around here, but a lot of that was more... The day in, day out community feel just wasn't there.
0: In the middle of that bit, Josh talks about how he felt connected to Indianapolis for a variety of reasons, and being an Orr Fellow was one of them. Josh was an Orr Fellow from 2007 to through 2009, back when the class size was much smaller, only about 10 or so people, and the big players, as Josh says, of companies were Angie's List and Exact Target. I asked him about some of the highlights from his time with Orr and he talks about the connections he made with those fellows, how he still meets up with them today. But what he talked about most was his experience as a fellow at Angie's List.
1: You know, the experience in the fellowship itself was, uh, that was a really unique time. I I mean, Angie's List was going, I was placed at Angie's List. It was going through um, an incredible uh, national expansion. So I joined, um, the team was uh, relatively small. Uh, When I left, it was Uh, you know uh, 500 600 people so uh, the company had grown a lot while i was there which was exciting to see and be a part of a lot of that i joined it at the right time where i where i just um luckily got a lot of fantastic experiences um and uh, sometimes i think you have an experience like that where you just hit it hit a company at the right time with the right set of experiences that's what they're looking for and so i I got the pleasure of working with angie and with bill um, on a lot of uh, different projects um, directly and so i just learned a lot you know, really early on, which was great too. Um, that was also though a really interesting time because the economy was crashing. I mean, 2008 was a pretty, Right. I always say we kind of lucked out by being in 2007 because we had at least a year of stability. Everyone who graduated in 2008, 2009, it was, that was a pretty rough period of time. And it was, it was certainly rough from, from our perspective in that I think there was less, there was a lot of uncertainty of what's going on. And so it was very interesting to be at these tech startups or I guess scale ups at that point um, that were dealing with this macroeconomic environment that was going pretty crazy um, and how they were trying to get through that and kind of oddly there was this odd juxtaposition of kind of the worlds falling apart around you but uh, we were as part of being in the fellowship at companies that are fast growing um, while growth kind of slowed down during some of those times mm. We were still growing a lot, right? We were still adding people. And so it was this really interesting e- experiment and, and really ex- uh, interesting experience for me.
0: I asked Josh if he realized the odd juxtaposition Angie's List was at in that the company was growing in the middle of a recession, but other companies in Indianapolis were not. And he said, yes, definitely.
1: At a minimum we were coming out of the fellowship in 2009, there were not a lot of opportunities, <laughs> you know, so it's like, um, so, so that was certainly impactful.
0: So you left the fellowship obviously in 2009, so kind yeah. of when the, the term, the Great Recession was kind yeah. of taking place. So were you ever worried about what you were gonna do afterwards? Or how did, you, how did you feel, I guess?
1: Anxious, probably in some ways, but I, it I, I certainly had enough perspective to know that I was being affected less than others, mostly because I had had a decent work experience right out of college and I had gone to college. And so, I mean, you know, the recession was hitting everyone disproportionately. Um, and so I was in a space that was at least relatively well protected, mm-hmm. all things considered. Um, so maybe a little bit of anxiety, but it, it was certainly wasn't as bad as it could have been. And, and I was aware of that at the time. Um Uh, I stayed on at Angie's List for one extra year um, and uh, that was partly because of the opportunities that existed at Angie's List and and partly you know I think in truth just uh, there was too much uncertainty with everything else that was going on that it didn't make much sense to change Um, and so you know I do distinctly remember kind of having that cost-benefit analysis in my head as I was trying to figure out okay what do I want to do after the fellowship.
0: When Josh decided to leave, Angie's List had undergone some major expansion. It had gone on to be in 225 cities. Their employee count had grown from 125 to over 500. And while he was still there, Angie's List was in scale up. But what he realized he was really interested in was what a startup looked like. And that's how he found himself at OneClick Ventures. They were a pre-air play, e-commerce, direct consumer website, and he thought it would be a great experience simply because it was gonna be so different.
1: I had the experience on the investor side and the budgeting, forecasting, financing side. at Angie's list at a um, VC-backed, you know, go raise a lot of funds and go spend all those funds. And um, OneClick was different in that it was a husband and wife team that founded it. It was, uh, you know, kind of a family-run operation at the time that I joined it. It was pretty small, under 10 team members. Wow. Um, so I was really going to get that startup experience. Um, and two, they were kind of... Uh, they were bootstrapped. And so they were using their own funding to figure out, okay, how do we expand? How do we grow? And so it just seemed like it would be a really interesting uh, juxtaposition and a really interesting set of challenges that I hadn't experienced yet. And so that was kind of the thinking behind the decision. And that's and they just seemed like a really great team. Uh, Randy and Angie Stockland are absolutely fantastic. They've been a huge part of the Indianapolis community, certainly the startup community as well. So I kind of lucked into being able to work with another set of really good founders and um, thought leaders and um, you know entrepreneurs as well so i wanted to be able to have that learning experience as well
0: that's cool when i asked josh what he thought had best prepared him for his career up to now he said it was because he had been able to do so many different things and this couldn't be more true he was at angie's list for three years during which he experienced both growth and struggles in a recession he was at OneClick Ventures as they were expanding and starting to really grow for two years. He went to grad school in London, spent a year in DC working on economic and healthcare policy, came back to Indianapolis to work at Butler University, teaching economics and statistics classes, both developing and running the online courses. He said each one of those experiences are relatively entrepreneurial, but they are in some really different spaces.
1: I was never looking in a specific place I was always looking with a pretty wide lens of what I could do and what I could do next um, and in the bias kind of my assumption was I guess it's a pretty standard liberal arts assumption but it's that i you know the first 10 years out of school I'm just going to continue to learn a lot of different things and at kind of worst case scenario I'm going to figure out what I really like to do, but Mm -hmm. kind of best case scenario is I'm going to be exposed to a lot of different uh, experiences, a a lot of different tasks, a lot of different projects. And that's going to help down the road when I'm um, either running a company or running a division or, you know, doing whatever comes next. And so, um, you know, my capacity, uh, running supply kick, uh, you know, on any given day I'm drawing on experiences from all of those, um, you know, past lives, and, and right. I think that's really helpful um, from my perspective because uh, I don't know that I would be able to do it without um, having classroom experience helping teach people who have never been exposed to uh, economic theory. Uh, I don't know that I would have um, been able to do it uh, having seen what it looks like to bootstrap your own company. I don't know what a, you know that I'd be able to do it without um, having some international exposure because you know we've um, uh, we've done some international selling and that kind of stuff. Um, uh, and so I just i have kind of drawn on all those different experiences.
0: When he brought up teaching at Butler, I was really curious to know why he chose academia. Just curious, um, what made you go to academia? I mean, because that yeah. seems like a an an, an non-traditional path, you know, of somebody who might be in the fellowship and it's yeah. kind of business. Oriented, And the, the classic is go to grad school, right. you know, go study something else, which um, you, you did go do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, why all of a sudden teaching?
1: Yeah. Um, it was kind of the right opportunity at the right time. I'd been in DC for a year. I, I think I'd mentioned before, I knew at some point I was going to come back to Indianapolis. I just wasn't quite sure when, um, the Butler opportunity came up pretty quickly and they were specifically looking for someone who had um, been involved in, uh, startups, Um, specifically Indianapolis startups but startups in general and could also teach their economics and statistics courses so uh, that's a pretty I think small Venn diagram and I just happened to fit into it it so it was kind of the right opportunity I didn't you know I when I was getting my grad degree I in the back of my head thought oh it would be fun to teach at a university sometime down the road and I think in, in the back of my head I was thinking like in my you know 50s or 60s after a career or something like that uh, I didn't expect it to come up um, you know at uh, at 26 um, and right. so um, I, I think the biggest thing for me is it just seemed like it was going to be a really interesting uh, new set of experiences I didn't know how to teach for sure at a university um, level and so uh, I thought I was going to be challenged and I thought I was going to be forced to figure it out pretty quickly In um, worst case scenario uh, I was going to you know, create a new set of connections within the Indianapolis community. Um, I had enough confidence that I could figure it out, uh, but uh, it ended up being just an incredibly rewarding experience.
0: Josh said developing the online courses had an entrepreneurial feel to them, and he learned a lot about how people communicate and learn. During his five years at Butler, he taught over 2,000 students. When I asked him what he loved most about teaching, he said it was the personal relationships, and not just the connection he made with them in class. But the lasting impact some of his courses had on their lives, whether it be helping decide on a major, using knowledge from class to complete an outside project, or even get them a job. In the end, he said teaching at Butler was the most rewarding thing he has ever done. So next, you might be thinking, why did you decide to leave Butler if he enjoyed the work so much? Well, you'll be proud of me. I asked this question as well. Why, so how long were you at Butler? And then why did you decide to then leave? What made you then make the next You know the switch in your career to do something else?
1: Sure, so I was at Butler from um, 2013 through 2017, so I was there for five years I believe that is. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, and so while we were, while I was at Butler, um, uh, after the first year I was also doing some consulting for local businesses, so just helping them out. Um, And uh, Chris Palmer had started a company called Supply Kick um, and it was in the uh, retail arbitrage business selling online on eBay and Amazon. And uh, he'd asked me to come in and uh, just kind of consult a little bit, help them think through some different things that were going on the inventory side, the business side, how do we scale this business and get it kind of over to that next threshold. In
0: 2014 and 2015, they identified some pivot points for the business. For two years, Josh ran Supply Kick and also taught at Butler. And it wasn't until a little while later after that, he was able to come in full time. As he talked about deciding to make a pivot with the company, Josh had some words to say about startups.
1: You know, just like any startup, you have ups and downs, um, you have, you know, opportunities for big successes and big celebrations, and you have, you know, frustrating places and um, in, in times where things just don't go as you had kind of hoped, or you were testing a hypothesis, and that hypothesis turns out to not work whatsoever, Yeah. Um, but that's kind of, you know, that's startups, and that's the joy of it, and I think, generally speaking, we've done, you know, pretty well along the, along the way.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. They've grown very quickly, won a number of awards, which Josh says always made team members excited and sort of validated what they were building towards as a company. He says, and I quote, we have to be dynamic. We have to take chances. We have to take risks. We have to go after this opportunity of what we can achieve with Amazon and the retail marketplace. But he called it all a path from where they were a few years ago to where they are now to where they want to be in the future. It's all a journey that they're fighting towards.
1: We are playing in a space that is uh, at the apex of uh, what's going on globally from a macroeconomic perspective, uh, how it's changing the retail landscape, uh, how it's changing uh, what consumers and how they buy and how they purchase and how they shop. And uh, the back end of that Amazon behemoth is uh, incredibly messy. And Mm -hmm. so, uh, you know, I think we have identified the right opportunity and I think we're really smart about what that solution looks like. Um, but there's a lot of factors that are out of our control. And so, you know, that's not unique to us. That's true of any marketplace, you know, or any market that anyone operates in. But, you know, I think uh, we're in a big one that's changing very rapidly. Um, uh, and and that's both fun and infuriating and, uh, I don't know, all the things in between those two things as well. And so uh, I think that's a fun challenge to be working on. Um, I think those have been probably the biggest opportunities, the big, you know, fun, interesting, challenging pieces of it uh, so
0: far. Do you worry about anything? I mean, obviously yeah. you're going to worry, yeah. but um, what are what are some of those?
1: Sure. I worry about things every day. I mean, I, on a small level, I worry about uh, making payroll. I mean, I worry about... Uh, are we in the right space at the right time? I worry if we're making the right investments in people and technology. Um, uh, I worry if uh, there's, uh, you know, big things changing on the Amazon platform that we're missing. And uh, I don't imperil, you know, the growth that we've had or um, or uh, have us take a, you know, giant step back. Um, you know, so those are all kind of daily things that, I th- mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I think about you know on on a bigger scale the macroeconomic pieces of the business you know my my predisposition is that businesses it's incredibly difficult to build a business and and build a successful one and we're lucky in Indianapolis to have a lot of young you know scrappy you know businesses that have been doing really well recently and that's that's a great thing for us to have i think it's a testament to what the war fellowship has done in the community i think it's a testament to what companies like uh, Interactive Intelligence and e- Angie's List and Exact Target have done, you know, in the Indianapolis mm-hmm. community and the companies before them, Software Artistry and that kind of stuff. You know, but, uh, you know, in Indianapolis, Supply Kick is situated in a really interesting place because we're kind of at the, uh, we're at a crossroads of uh, technology and retail, and there's not a ton of those type of businesses in Indianapolis. It's mostly a SaaS town. So, you know, I also have worries that we're not asking the right questions or that we're not focused on the right things or we're not surrounded with uh, the right people or the talent. Um, certainly not that, not that we can't do the things that we need to, but um, just that uh, we're proactive and not reactive.
0: Right about here, we make sort of a drastic switch in topic. With all of this talk of change in the Indianapolis business world, I was curious about his take on another aspect of change. Kind of my big question. So over the past few years, kind of dealing with change, yep. there's been an overwhelming push in the tech community for diversity and inclusion. Yep. Um, could you tell us a little bit about how you guys have focused on diversity and inclusion sure. in SupplyKick, um, and also your experiences with or and diversity and inclusion? Because that's also a big initiative that we're experiencing right now. Yeah.
1: Um, well, so SupplyKick, not unlike um, a lot of you know tech startups, started out relatively male-heavy, relatively white. Um, you know, I think that's a pretty. It's in Central Indiana. That's a pretty typical thing. Uh, It's been a focus um, of ours since, um, you know, for, I I think, the entirety of the business. Um, Certainly, you know, over the last two years, it's something that we've been, you know, very focused on. I think that there's a number of things, just from my perspective, that you have to be able to do as a business. One, you have to be able to talk about it openly uh, and you have to know, uh, you know, why you're looking for uh, diversity and why it's important and why that's a cultural value. you know, for us, um, one, I just think it's morally right that we're providing as many opportunities to everyone within the Indianapolis community as possible. But um, two, uh, it's because uh, we're a uh, trying to become a big retailer that services, um, the Amazon platform, which by, de- by definition has a diverse set of people shopping. Right. Online. So we need to have, we need to be diverse so that we can go find those right products and those right relationships and make sure that we don't have a blind spot for things that actually, um, can be really great business investments and, and great opportunities for us. So, you know, I mean, I think that there's a strong economic, you know, reason for that just as a selfish business, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, reasoning as well, in addition to the moral reasons um, for it.
0: He says that Supply Kick is about 50% female and about 20-25% to minority, which he would consider a pretty good success considering that as a company, they have prioritized this initiative. He talks about how it's not just a flip of the switch thing to change, it's something with which a company has to be committed together and over a long period of time. Making sure that you don't have embedded biases in the interview process that would make you lean toward one direction or another is another thing he highlights. To which he says immediately afterwards requires a lot of discussion and a lot of check-ins
1: you've got to be careful what you look for as stand-ins for experience especially when you're hiring um you know right out of college mm-hmm. you know so you know the biggest things i think from my perspective are um, by definition diversity and inclusion means that you're looking for uh, people who have different viewpoints, people who have different experiences, people who have non-traditional experiences. Um, So one example of that for SupplyKick is we um, removed um, any educational requirements from any position at SupplyKick. One of the reasons for that is because uh, if you require every position to have a bachelor's degree, by definition um, you're going to have a relatively non-diverse pool of applicants i mean it's just that's not a supply kick thing that's not an indiana thing that's just a national educational thing of how of of what's happening in education in in the united states Um, what we haven't changed is uh, what you have to be able to do and the potential that you can have and what you can contribute to the role and can you do those things all we've simply said is i'm open to all the ways in which you think you can describe uh, why you're best suited for this job. Mm-hmm. And it turns out, one, you get a lot of non-traditional candidates when you do that um, because you haven't put up a barrier to applications in the first place. But then the second thing is, you really get some really interesting responses. Um, and in a lot of cases, um, I mean, we've hired people that uh, that I think w- we probably wouldn't have hired in the, mm-hmm. had we not been doing this. Partly because we were open to um, understanding how that different experience, that isn't a marketing experience, for example, still allows them to be able to do that job very well. Um, and then I think the last thing is we've just been, I, I think, relatively smart about okay, what are the things that are, what do we care about in the hiring process, and then what are the things that we can teach once you're once you're here at SupplyKick? Right. Um, so you know whether that's um, Amazon platform pieces or. Uh, You know things that are relatively easy within this within the grand scheme of things to pick up within our system Um, And so we've tried to be smart about that What are the what are the qualities that we care about from an applicant? And then what are the things that we need to make sure if they don't already have that background that they can learn and if they can do that um, That's a pretty good match
0: The education requirement was removed at the same time they implemented a minimum compensation package of $50,000 for any and all team members Whether you worked in the warehouse or in supply chain, that was the minimum for every employee. The other thing they wanted to say at the same time was, we're building a retail and technology company in a new economy, and we want that new economy to work for all team members. This was all done to ensure that they were keeping a wide funnel of potential employees to come work at Supply Kick, making it look attractive and welcoming. For the next several minutes, we then switched topics again to what he likes to do for fun or during his time away from work. His answer to that, by the way, was staying active, going on runs, and getting away for weekends with his husband, who is an opera singer, which makes them travel quite a bit. We also talked about how he wasn't a morning person at all, and yet how he still enjoys the crisp morning walks to work from his apartment on Mass Ave, and how he intentionally eats breakfast, even if it's only almonds which I honestly still can't understand because I'm a pancakes, eggs, and bacon girl myself almost every morning. We covered a wide range of topics only during our one hour, but I had this feeling he still had more to give, and I was right. That has kind of, that's got run through kind of all the questions that I really wanted to ask you. Fantastic. Is there anything you'd like to add just uh, after everything we've talked about we kind of really talked about a lot of things so yep. not even pinpointing things down but anything you'd like to add about either something you'd like people to know about you advice and I yeah. know you probably get asked that a lot you're obviously a young
1: yeah.
0: uh you know businessman and you've yeah. done a lot and that's yeah. very admirable I think from a position of somebody who's just literally starting the first yeah. five yeah. months of her career yeah. so yeah anything um
1: you know, pieces of advice, I, you know, I, I think the biggest things that I say often, I would, I would say in my class all the time, I definitely tell all the OR fellows at Supply Kick, um, uh, which is, uh, it is really difficult to mess up the first two to five years of life outside of college. And so, um, you know, I would just highly encourage everyone, take chances, live in the moment, do not focus too much on where you think this is decision is going to lead to this next decision that's going to lead to this thing five years down the road just trust me you're probably better served by living in the moment and learning as many different things as you possibly can um obviously that's what i did it worked out really well for me so i guess you know i'm biased (laughs) but you know i do think it's it's easy to fall in that trap of um especially in something like the fellowship where you have a definitive two years and you kind of know there's an expiration date and you have to make a decision on that i think all that's great because it forces you to make a decision But I would just say don't make sure you're living in the moment and make sure you're staying open to all the different opportunities that exist in front of you and uh, if you're interested by something, uh, even if it feels like a lateral move or maybe a step back but you think you're going to learn from it, um, almost without a doubt it's going to pay off really well in the long run. So I would just always say take a chance on yourself, do the things that sound interesting, Uh, don't try to follow this path that you might have in your head, because trust me, that one, one, it's not going to work out, and two, it's going to be, it will not be nearly as interesting as, um, you know, if you follow the opportunities that are presented in front of you and really run after them with, you know, a lot of interest and a lot of vigor.
0: That's all I have for you today. Again, I'm Amanda Alexander, and you're listening to the podcast or else. Special thanks goes to Lowell Bieber for helping set up the interview, and Libby Durbin for answering all my questions, and thank you to Connor Rice and Lessonly for letting me use their space to do the interview. Thank you for listening, and be sure to look out for the next episode. I hope you enjoy. Credit for today's music goes to Eddie with All the Way Up, Mont a good start and key low bot with Senorita KID